scripture that says God works in us to work out our salvation. We can't work out what God doesn't work in. And we need that in working of, of power, of want to and of able to do what, what pleases, pleases God. That starts with our, with our very faith, with our very salvation, which we reflected from Ephesians chapter 2, that even this, our faith, is a gift from God. It's not by works so that none of us can boast. It's not by our own efforts, by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, by the gift and the grace of God, even the very faith that we have. And so uh, we were thinking about that last week and, and this infilling of God's spirit, this energy of God. Remember that uh, the uh, few of you asked me, what was that word again? It was energeo, which E-N-E-R-G-E-O, the Greek energeo, the energy of God that he works in us so that we can work it out. And uh, we believe that God will do that and continue to do that in our hearts and lives. I want to read to you the next passage this morning from the book of Philippians, which is what we've been studying these Sunday mornings. And I'm going to read to you from Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 onwards. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Um, And this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. This is what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel." I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety." Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. I want to ask kind of this morning, who, who, are, you, who are you imitating? Um, we, are, we all imitate certain people or certain things. It, advertisers spend billions of pounds every year uh, trying to make us imitate other people. They tell us that if we wear a certain kind of aftershave or perfume, or if we eat a certain yogurt, or if we um, wear certain clothes, we will be like this person, this image that they are presenting to us. 
And you see imitation everywhere that you look. And that's why the advertising industry is worth the billions of pounds uh, that it is. Who am I copying and what am I copying? Because all of us are copying or imitating something or someone. And what Paul is going to say to us in this passage is he's going to hold up two leaders. He's going to hold up Timothy and he's going to hold up Epaphroditus. And he's going to say, I want you to imitate men like this. I want you to honor men like this. I want you to look at their lives and their witness and their testimony. And I want you to to be like them. I want you to hold them in high esteem. And we see also in this passage uh, that we're looking at today the absolute value of friendship. Paul is in prison, of course, in Rome. He's in chains. And he names here two companions who are very dear to him, who have helped him in, in many great ways. Timothy, his son in the faith, and Epaphroditus, the man that had been sent by the Philippian church to help Paul and to minister to him and to give him some financial assistance as well. These are two men that are very dear to Paul's heart and their friendship is, is really, really valuable to him. The value of friendship in faith is not to be underestimated. I remember Nicky Gumbel standing up at the Royal Albert Hall at one of their leadership conferences and outlining how friendship had been absolutely fundamental to his ministry and his faith. And he, and he told us through various scriptural truths of, of the place of friendship in scripture, the place of a covenant relationship with other people, of, of deep friendship. And he told us at a personal level of how through 30 plus years of ministry and challenge and leading the Alpha Course and leading a worldwide movement and how friendship had sustained him in ministry, how having good friends around him had been so important in this life of faith. And I I think that is so true and so right. And whenever we read Paul's letters, he names people He has friends. He's got Luke, of course, who he calls his companion in the Lord. He's got Silas. He's got Barnabas, the great encouragement that is Barnabas, and who has traveled with him. He's had Silas. And here he mentions Timothy and Epaphroditus. And there are many others. Paul names names. He he walks with people. He expresses his faith through friendship. And we can see three things in this passage this morning, I just want to um, draw out, first of all, what's actually happening, and, and, and just the fact that Paul is expressing his intent uh, to send two men to Philippi. <coughs> he is in Rome, which is 800 miles from Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece, and uh, he's expressing in this passage um, his desire uh, to the Philippine believers as he sends this letter. He's uh, expressing his desire to send Timothy and to send Epaphroditus. Verse 19, I hope, I hope to send you Timothy as my, as my emissary, as my uh, representative. If I can't come myself personally, and I hope I can come, Paul says, but if I can't, I'm going to send Timothy, my son, in the faith. And then he says in verse 25, he says, I think it's necessary for me to send Epaphroditus back to you as well. So here are the two men that Paul is going to send to the Philippian believers and and asked to make this journey. Epaphroditus, of course, comes from Philippi. That's his home church, and Paul wants to send him back. So the first thing is 
that we're reading in this passage, what's actually happening is that Paul is intending to send these two men on his behalf. The second thing that we see about what Paul says about them is that he very much endorses Timothy and Epaphroditus as role models, um, as people uh, that deserve honor. In verse 20 of chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul says about Timothy, I have, I have no one else like him. And, and the Greek there is, I have no one who is like-souled, <laughs> who is of a like soul as Timothy. Timothy is my soulmate. Timothy is someone who has uh, been on various missionary journeys with me. Timothy is someone I picked up in Lystra and Derby, where, he, where Paul first met him. Timothy was well thought of in Acts chapter 16. We say that he was well spoken of by the people in uh, Elystria and in, in Derby and in, in Lystra and Iconium. Uh, and, and he's well thought of. And, and, and Paul says of Timothy, I have nobody like him who is a, a, a soulmate to, to me. And then about Epaphroditus, uh, if he's honoring these men in verse 29, Paul says of Epaphroditus, welcome him when I send him to you and honor men like him. There's two phrases there, the, the same phrase, like him. I have nobody like him. Honor men like him. And Paul holds up these two men as people worthy of honor, people worthy of emulation, people worthy of imitation, of mimicry. <coughs> A great deal is picked up in our lives by mimicry and imitation. It's amazing, isn't it, watching children pick up uh, things from their parents. And it's a, it's a, it's a lesson that we learn very quickly um, that our, our children imitate us, sometimes to our detriment in public if they come out with something we've said at home or do something that we do and we see ourselves acted out in our children's behavior. Or the mimicry of a child in picking up an, an accent or language is amazing. They are like sponges that just take in a language. And, and accents as well, Australian children pick up an Australian accent from their parents, which is amazing. And then Scottish children pick up a Scottish accent and, and so on. Just this sense of, of mimicry and imitation. And um, also sometimes we, we mimic things or we imitate things and we don't quite know why we're doing it. The, I, I don't know if it's a true story. It's probably a legendary story of a, of a woman who was putting a chicken in the oven and and she chopped the, both legs, both wings off and, and put them in with the chicken and, and slid the chicken in the oven. And uh, her husband said to her, why, why do you always chop off the sides of the chicken? She said, I don't know. My mum always did that. I thought it caused the chicken to taste better. So she rang her mum and said, Mum, why, why did you always chop off the wings and the, and the sides of the chicken um, when, you baked, when you cooked it? And she said, I don't know. My mum always did that. I just... <laughs> Um, copied her, I thought it made the chicken taste better. So um, daughter rings grandma and says, why, why did you always chop off the sides of the chicken? She said, it's because I had a really small oven and it would never fit in properly. <laughs> so chopped it off and shoved it in. And sometimes we copy things from people and we don't even know why we're copying it. There was a, a phrase, a phase in the 1990s, I don't know if some of you remember it, but there was a way of praying with people. And it was, it was I call it the holy hover and uh, you, would, you would pray for someone. You wouldn't put your hand on them. You would just kind of hover above their head. It was like a holy hover. It was very spiritual. And uh, if someone prayed for you with, 
with this kind of prayer. It was, it was powerful. And um, until, until it evolved, that why, why are we praying like that? And it actually started in California with John Wimber and his team. And they noticed that as they were praying for the sick on a sunny Californian Sunday evening, they were soaked through with sweat. And as they had their hand on somebody, it was getting claggy, it was getting sweaty, it was getting... So they just lifted their hands off a little bit just to make sure that, that it didn't have this horrible, uncomfortable, sweaty feeling of someone with their sweaty hands. And this was imitated all, all around the world, this kind of holy hover. That's where it started, and that's why it started. And we don't particularly need it in, in cool Plymouth rather than <laughs> California. But sometimes we mimic, and we, we do, we imitate all the time. And, and sometimes that's a good thing as well. Don Carson, who's a, who's a pastor and a theologian, tells at the time that he was at university and he was studying maths and science. And, uh, but he, he was also sharing his faith with other students. And um, he, he started a Bible study. He started an evangelistic Bible study for his fellow students. And uh, he didn't know very much about the Bible, but he just wanted to share his faith. And he said, he said, there was me and my friend. We didn't know that much, but we knew a little bit more than they did. And so we wanted to tell them about, about Jesus. He said, we hoped that maybe two people would come. But very quickly, this Bible study grew and grew. And uh, suddenly there were 16, there were 20, there were 25 students turning up. And he said, we didn't know. People were asking us all kinds of questions about the Christian faith, and we didn't know the answers. And so he said there was another student on campus called Dave Ward. And Dave Ward, he knew everything. He seemed to know all the answers. But it, um, and so they would take, they would take people, this, these students, and they would take, him, take them to Dave. And Dave would answer their questions. And one time, Don Carson said, I, I took two of these students to Dave and uh, who, who had all these questions. And Dave was very busy, and he was an undergraduate taking exams. And he, he said, embarrassingly, he turned to this first student, and he said, what is it, what do you want? Why are you here? And, uh, and this student had a few questions, and he said, I, I don't really have time uh, to get into that. I can point you towards books, and I can, I can explain the Christian faith, but if you're not really serious about knowing God, I don't really have time, uh, but I can point you in the right direction. And he turned to the second guy and said, what, what is it that you want? And he said, I'm interested in this Christian faith. And, and he said, Dave said to him, come and live with me for a month. He said, if you think that your life is no different to mine, come and live with me for a month. Watch what I do. Watch the way I live. Watch the way I act. And, and come and imitate me. And this had a profound inf- impact on this young student. I remember when I was at university, I went to Nottingham University, and I remember the Navigators movement, a student movement of people that were discipling other students. And they did the same thing. They opened up their homes, and they had students live with them, and they shared their faith with them, and their life, and their table. And they said, in essence, if you're going to follow Jesus, follow me as I follow Jesus. Imitate me. And there was that sense of imitation. And uh, there is an advert in, uh, that I saw a while back, and it, and it had the catch line, innovate, don't imitate. Innovate, don't imitate. But Paul is saying here, imitate. <laughs> imitate these men. They've got something that you need, that you need to have in your life. And, and we find this, uh, this kind of thread throughout the Bible um, where Paul says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. 
And the writer to the Hebrews says something similar. He says in Hebrews 6 verse 12, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Find people and imitate them who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. The Apostle Peter writes to uh, his um, uh, constituents and he says, he says to the elders of the church, he says, be examples to the flock um, that people can follow. And Paul urges the Philippians. He says in Philippians 3.17, slightly later in our letter, but he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul is saying in a very practical way, is imitate me and imitate those who live like us and who have our faith. And Paul encourages the young evangelist, Timothy, who he's, who he's speaking of here. And he says, as he writes to Timothy, he says, be an example to the believers in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. He urges Christians to set a right example. And he praises the Thessalonians who became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So be imitators of me. Paul says. But he's also said in this letter to the Philippians, he's also said, be imitators of Jesus. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, earlier on in verses 3 to 5, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, he says. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ has. So Paul is saying to the Philippians, you need to imitate Jesus in not just looking out for yourself, not just looking out for number one. Don't be selfish, don't be proud, but be humble, be other-centric, be like Jesus was, who didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he lowered himself, and he lowered himself even to death on a cross. Be like him. So Paul is constantly telling these believers and telling us by extension to imitate, to imitate Jesus, to imitate Paul, to imitate those like-minded with Paul who are living out their faith. And then he's saying to imitate Timothy and Epaphroditus, welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. So the, the first two things that we've said is, first of all, we see the intent of Paul to send Timothy and Epaphroditus back to Philippi these, and the importance of friendships. Secondly, we see Paul's admonition to them to imitate people like this and to honor people like this, leaders like this. So we've got to ask ourselves, what are these men like? What is it about them that is worthy of imitation? What is it that we could imitate? And sometimes when you're listening to messages like this, because this is really about developing friendships and relationships with people like this, is that we could think of, of ourselves, I'd like to find someone like that. I'd like to find a Barnabas. I'd like to find an Epaphroditus or a Timothy in the faith. Somebody that could mentor me. Somebody that could speak into my life. Somebody that I could imitate as well. But I also think we've got to listen with an ear to messages like this and think of ourselves. I want to be that kind of person that others can imitate. I want to be that kind of person 
that others can look up to in the faith. And I was thinking this morning as well about the extended family of God and the instructions of Scripture that the older women are supposed to instruct the younger women and the older men are supposed to be examples to the younger men. And uh, I was thinking of my, my daughter Beth as well. We went and had a chat with someone in the church this week who was just helping her and talking to her and sharing with her. And I was thinking of that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, as her parent, I can say various things into her life, but there are others um, that will speak into her life as well in a church context. So I think at two levels, we need to find people like this, but we need to uh, aspire to be people like this as well. And what, what are these people like? What are these examples that Paul is holding out for us in Timothy and Epaphroditus? Well, first of all, we see that they are compassionate and caring. They, the, uh, Epaphroditus and Timothy are, they are compassionate and caring people. What does he say about Timothy in verse 21? He says, I have no one else like him. Um, why is no one else like Timothy? He says, because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare and everybody else only looks out for their own interest. There's nobody like Timothy, Paul says. So many people are looking out for themselves. And this is what Paul is saying in in chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he says, here's Timothy. He's that guy. He's he's not somebody um, who just looks out for himself, but he has a genuine interest in your welfare. And there's, there's nobody like, quite like Timothy. Timothy genuinely cares for you while others only care about themselves. The Phillips translation says, they're all wrapped up in their own affairs. So here we have the first characteristic of a godly person that's worthy of emulation. A godly person is, is compassionate. They're caring. They're unselfish. They think about others. They're not just thinking about themselves. And if there's ever a message that we needed to hear today, it, it, is, it is this one. Because everything in our culture tells us that we need to look after number one and, and to be self-centered. Everything in our culture teaches us to care about ourselves. No, no ad is telling you to be unselfish. All the music, all the movies, the TV shows, the novels, the magazines, the, the video games, they're all about you the consumer. It's not about you looking out for others. It's rare to find an unselfish person, someone who is genuinely interested in the welfare of others. And Paul says, I have no one like him, no one like Timothy, who's he's so other-focused. He's, he's taking care of my needs, and he's taking care of others' needs, and he's, he's genuinely interested in you and how you're getting on. So if I can't come myself, then Timothy is a great representative because he is one of the most caring, compassionate people that I know. It's rare to find that kind of person, and Paul says, emulate people like that. Be one of those kind of people. When uh, Jenny and I lived in Germany uh, many years ago, uh, one of my jobs, as I've said before, was to pick up visiting speakers. <laughs> from. Sometimes we had them over from the States, and... Um, 
we had them come from different places around Europe uh, and uh, to speak at various conferences and, and at the church, which was quite large at that time. So my job was to drive to the airport and to pick up the speaker and to take them to their hotel and to look after them and to make sure they had what they needed. And I noticed, I watched these visiting speakers and I noticed the different attitudes that they had. There was one speaker, and I won't name him, but he was fairly well known at the time. And um, he was treated like this kind of, this lord, this guru. And uh, he, would, he, would, he would insist that the driver had the car running outside the church building so that the moment he finished preaching, he could walk into the car, which was waiting with him. And then he would have his acolytes by his side who would put a coat around his shoulders and almost mop his brow and, and uh, carry his case for him. And it, it, just was, it just was all about him. And then you would hear that people fawning on him all the way back to the hotel. And it was just this so self-centered kind of, it's all about me, uh, it's all about my ministry and the man of God. And it was very unattractive to watch and to see. And then there was another, another visiting speaker called Dr. Hurston. And Dr. John Hurston uh, helped to um, start and to, to the church that Paul Yonggi Cho started in Seoul, Korea. And, 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 and uh, he was involved as a missionary, as an American missionary, um, helped to plant various churches around the world and, and had a really uh, significant ministry. But when he came, he had no heirs and he had no graces. And he was always concerned about you. And I, I've said this before, I've told this story before, but um, Jenny was there, she was a, they were, her parents were missionaries from America, and uh, Dr. Hurston would say to her, what, what is it you miss about America? What is it you miss about American food? And she, she named a particular Reese's Pieces, was it, at the time? And uh, the next thing we knew, we had this massive parcel sent from America <laughs> full of this chocolate that you couldn't get in Germany. And, just this busy kind of itinerant speaker who was interested in other people, interested in other people's welfare. It's a very winsome and attractive characteristic. And that's what Paul identifies here in Timothy and in Epaphroditus, in, is that they are caring and compassionate and they're interested in other people and not just about themselves or their own situation. He says about Epaphroditus, um, he longs for all of you. And he is distressed because you heard he was ill. So Epaphroditus is upset because he knows that the Philippians are upset because they've heard that he was ill and he nearly died. And he doesn't want them to worry. He doesn't want them to be upset. He wants to reassure them. Here's a church in Greece uh, called the Church of Philippi that's been started by Paul. And Paul is in prison in Rome in Italy and they take up a love offering, this church, Philippi, for Paul. And then they say, we need somebody who's going to take this money to Paul and take this gift from us, the 800 miles, to where Paul is. And Epaphroditus says, I'll do it. He's going to have to walk. There's no planes, trains, or automobiles. He's going to have to walk all the way from Greece to Italy. He's going to have to walk 800 miles and there are going to be bandits, and there are going to be no five-star hotels, and he's going to have to leave his business behind and his friends while he goes and carries out this piece of ministry work at great personal expense. And on the way, Epaphroditus gets really sick, and he nearly dies delivering this gift, which the people have entrusted to him. 
And when word gets back to the church, his reaction is one that he's distressed by their distress. He's concerned about their concerns. He's, he's worried about the fact that they're worried about him. And he's not thinking about himself or the fact that he's miles away from home or that he's sick, nearly dying. He's worried about them and how they're doing. This other-mindedness of both Paul and Epaphroditus is a winsome characteristic that is held up by Paul. Be compassionate and caring. The second thing that he holds up of Timothy and Epaphroditus is that they are consistent and they are reliable. In verse 22, Timothy, we read, uh, Paul says, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. God's word translation for this passage says, you know what kind of person Timothy proved to be. The word proved means tested. Timothy has been tested and he's been found to be reliable. This wasn't the first journey that Paul sent him on. He'd been on various journeys that are witnessed uh, throughout the scriptures, various missionary journeys. As we've said in Acts chapter 16, it says the people spoke very highly of Timothy. He had a very high reputation. Now, of course, uh, Paul fell out with John Mark because John Mark flaked out. He, he let Paul down on a trip. And uh, Paul and Barnabas fell out over John Mark because Paul said, I'm not taking that guy with me again. He's unreliable. I can't rely on him. And, and Barnabas wanted to give him another chance, and, and, and Paul didn't. But, but Timothy was consistent, and he was reliable. The number of people who are dependable, who don't flip-flop, who don't let us down, who keep their word, who do what they say they will do, who keep their promises even when it hurts. Sometimes that number is not very high. Proverbs 25 verse 19 says, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. You don't want an unreliable person in a time of trouble. And what is needed today more than ever are people who are consistent and reliable, men of conviction and character, women of conviction and character, people who will serve God with a long obedience in the same direction. Benedict, when he founded the monasteries, uh, noticed that some of the monks, they were moving around all the time, and uh, they were moving to a different circumstance, a better circumstance, a better offer, and he found that the monasteries were suffering through this lack of consistency as, as the monks moved from place to place to place. And, and Benedict introduced something that he called a vow of stability. And he said, I, I want you to make this vow that you will stay rooted. You will stay with an at-homeness in your monastery, that you will serve locally where you are, in this place, in this time, with this family of God. And I've mentioned before the character of Mrs. Jellaby in, uh, in Bleak House, Charles Dickens' Bleak House, and um, the, her desire always to serve God somewhere else, to serve God in the, in the fictional land of Borea Bulagar, as, as it's called. 
And, and Mrs. Jellaby, she's got a household, she's got children, she's got a local scenario, but she neglects it all because she wants to serve God in Borea Bulagar. And what Benedict was calling for, and, and what Dickens was kind of negating in his, in his painting this picture of Mrs. Jellaby, is a stability, is a vow of rootedness, is a reliability. And that's what Paul saw in Timothy. He said he has proven himself. He has shown himself to be reliable, to be trustworthy. And Epaphroditus is the same. He says of him in verse 25, I, I send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier. He's also your messenger because you sent him to me to take care of my needs. Paul uses three metaphors for Epaphroditus, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, and he's my fellow soldier. And uh, first of all, he's family. <coughs> he's someone he, that I can rely on. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. I can rely on Epaphroditus. He's my brother in the Lord, and he's, and he's been by my side. We're related. The phrase, the phrase brother or sister is used about 133 times in the Bible to refer to Christians. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are siblings. And for thousands of years, church members have always referred to each other as brothers and sisters. Uh, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. There's brother Tom and there's sister Jane. But we are a family and we are children in God's family. And we are brothers and sisters. And there's a relationship there. And, and for Paul with Epaphroditus, he, he says, first of all, he's my, he's my brother in the Lord. But secondly, he's, he's got this fellowship with him. He's my fellow worker. When we are fellow workers, we have the same task. We have the same purpose. We have the same mission. We have the same commission. <coughs> we are to work together. And that is what he says of Epaphroditus. He says, we are fellow workers. We work together. But also, we are fellow soldiers. He's my fellow soldier because we fight the same battles. We have the same enemy. We support each other. We encourage each other. We're in this together. And so Don Carson, when he looks at these two characters, he says, imitate and seek out those who have proven themselves in hardship rather than the self-promoting upstart. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, imitate these men because they are consistent and they are reliable and we want to be those kind of people. The third thing that he asks us to imitate, first of all, imitate their compassion and other people-mindedness, how they are concerned with others and not just themselves. Imitate that. Imitate their consistency and their reliability. But thirdly, imitate their courage. These are courageous men who are serving God in exacting circumstances. And Paul says of Epaphroditus in verse 27, indeed, he was ill and he almost died. And in verse 30, he says, he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me. He traveled, he, uh, he suffered, and he was willing to die for the cause. Um, and notice what he's courageous about, risking his life risking his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me. He's courageous not for his own benefit, but he's taking risks for the benefit of others and the kingdom of God. 
He puts the cause of Christ before his own comfort. Paul is in prison in Rome. He's in Greece. The church takes up this love offering, and he volunteers to be the courier uh, to take it. He perseveres in spite of the pain that he goes through. He's committed to finishing what he has started. And God uses courageous people like this. People who show great courage against great odds and put people before profit and who put courage before comfort and convenience, who put service before security, who take a risk for the kingdom of God. Think of the excuses that Epaphroditus could have come up with. I've got a business to run. I've got a family to take care of. I've got kids in school. You're going to ask me to leave my work, to leave my shop, to take two or three months to travel to another nation, to, to another church. But Paul says, Paul says, I have no one like Timothy. I want you to look at Epaphroditus, and I want you to honor him and hold him in high esteem. These men genuinely care for others. These men are so consistent and reliable. They have proven themselves in the ministry, and they are, um, they are so courageous. And so the, Paul's instruction to us as he writes about these two men, as he beds into these real people in a real circumstances, emulate godly leaders, emulate godly people like this. And as I said at the start, take this message two ways, is find people like this and imitate them. Find people of faith, people of substance, people who've obeyed God over the long haul. Find them and emulate them and imitate them and draw spiritual life out of them. And ask God to lead you to people like that, to highlight people like that. I've had many people like that in my own life that I've been able to emulate, that I've been able to look up to. I still do. And, um, but also, I think each of us should aspire to be these kind of people, to be the kind of person that is other-minded, that cares and is interested in the welfare of others and not only our own welfare, that shows courage and consistency in the Lord. And ultimately, in all of this, if we're talking about imitation, as Paul says, imitate Christ. Imitate Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but lowered himself even to death on the cross. Paul says, imitate Jesus, imitate me, imitate Paul and Epaphroditus, imitate those who have the same faith and live out your faith with fear and trembling. I'm going to pray for you this morning and um, ask God perhaps to put people in your mind that are these kind of people in your life or even to bring you into contact with these kind of people and certainly to make you one of these kind of people. Let's pray. Father, your, your scriptures are so um, practical. Um, Paul wrote to Timothy of all people and said, all, all scripture is, is God-breathed. It's got the breath of God in it. And it's useful to us. It, it helps us. It teaches us. It rebukes us, corrects us, trains us in right living. And as we read a passage like today's passage, just about a Paul, a missionary, imprisoned, speaking specifically of two men that he's going to send 
to a church 800 miles away. God, we can draw out of it spirit-given truth. And God, we do all imitate people. We all imitate and copy things that we see. And sometimes, Lord, we imitate the wrong things or the wrong people. But Lord, I pray that you would put people in our lives that we can, we can see their genuine faith. We can see how they live with other people in mind. Um, like Timothy, who, who has a genuine interest in other people and is not just concerned about his own affairs. Epaphroditus, who was so concerned with the Philippian believers and not concerned about his own issues only. Father, I pray that you would make us those kind of people, that we would have the same attitude as Jesus Christ, and that we would imitate those that imitate Christ. Help us also, Lord, to show this sense of consistency, a vow of stability, that, Lord, you have called us to serve you in this place, with this people. Thank you that Paul names so many people. He's in relationship with so many people. Help us to deepen those relationships and those friendships with one another and to build them up, Lord, and to be built up as the body of Christ. And I pray for those of us, Lord, at this season that need, in this season that need courage, that, that these men showed great courage and were willing even to die for the sake of the gospel. We pray for others and we pray for ourselves that we might be men and women of courage and consistency and character and compassion. And we pray this, Lord, um, for the glory of God, for your glory in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.